We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Hey there, welcome to Binge the Bucks, a special narrative podcast series focusing on the Milwaukee Bucks 2019 playoff run, part of the Eurostep podcast. I'm Ty Windish, I'm here with Rohan Kadi. We are here to break down Game 6 in the third series in the Bucks 2019 run, a 194 loss to the Toronto Raptors that ended the series, the run, and thus this series of podcasts, thankfully for our sake. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag and Blue Chew, and the Eurostep is proudly a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Rohan, we made it. We did make it. I, I We were saying this before we started recording, but you know what? I'm proud of us. We made it through. We've gotten through all of the sadness. We're going to get through more sadness uh, in this episode. Uh, but you know what? I'm, I'm proud of us. I am too. We committed to this, and along the way, especially these last like few two, three weeks, we were like, "Oh, maybe do we have to finish it?" We we didn't have to. I mean, nobody was like forcing us to, but we started it. We wanted to finish it, and as I mean, I've tweeted about this a few times because somebody asked me, and I felt bad. I think they were trying really hard not to be rude, but they were basically like, "Why are you doing this? Like, why would anyone? Why would any Bucks fan, I should say, want to listen back to this?" And I do think there's. Important takeaways, it reaffirms th- some things that I thought. I think I learned a couple new things from this rewatch. And I feel like it does color the way that, you know, you'll look at the Bucks as they try to right those wrongs and get farther whenever playoffs happen again. I do think it informs, you know, covering that chase a bit. It for sure does. If anything, it's made me look at the uh, 1920 team a lot differently in the sense that they've... 
it didn't really hit me as the season was going, but they've really fixed a lot of the a lot of the flaws. I'm not going to say all of the flaws, but they've fixed a lot of the flaws that were exposed in this playoff run and this series in particular. And it's just good to see the evolution of this team that they learned. Their, hopefully they learned their mistakes from this season. Yeah, and I think uh, this feels like a good time to just go into some of these takeaways because I really don't want to sit down and do another whole separate podcast about this series in any way, shape, or form for a while. But I think this really, in a lot of ways, validated both my optimism and my frustration regarding Chris Middleton in all sorts of ways. I mean, like there were times when Chris would make shots or plays or passes or whatever that just looked brilliant, but there just was not enough of it, and it did not seem like it was enough of a focal point as I've said many times, some of that certainly on the player, Chris himself. Some of that, I think, on, on the Bucks coaching staff for not working to get him more looks. But I feel good about being so jazzed about the Chris Giannis pick and roll and all Chris stuff that I've been super excited about. Because what, looking back, I mean, there were so many times where the Bucks just desperately needed a bucket. And that wasn't really something they'd ever turned to in those times when this season we've seen in tight games that go to that play pretty instinctually now. Yeah, for sure. It, Chris's improvement has just been, uh, it's been brought to a new light in rewatching this series and all of these uh, series just to see how much he's improved. Uh, what my big takeaway was is how much better the roster is this season. Yes. Which we yes. thought this roster like last season uh, was incredible because, you know, they had like a 60 win season. They were dominating in the playoffs up until the conference finals. But then it's just like this team on the 1920 team is just so much deeper, so much better. They play so much better. The style is different. Um, it's just there's so much variations and depth to this roster and this coaching style that just makes you makes you very happy that they improved upon last season. Yeah, same here. I mean, looking at this like right now, I mean, obviously, Malcolm Brogdon is, is gone. That's the big... So people thought the Bucks were actually going to be worse, which in ret- retrospect is kind of hilarious. But, like, the bench for these last couple games when Brogdon was starting, like, the bench guys the Bucks could rely on is George Hill, so that, that hasn't changed. Then it is Pat Condon and Ursan, and that's, like, it. That's it. Like, that's, that's, it. that's all the options. Whereas now, Wesley Matthews slides into that starting spot. I think he's done a an admirable job there, but a lot better defensively than I expected. You get the the emergence of Dante. You still have George Hill. Now Marvin Williams is in the fold. Still got Pat C, just in a slightly reduced Robin role. Robin Lopez. I mean, Robin Lopez, who's been huge for this team. And, man, not having a center, a, a second center. And we're, we're going to get into this more on it entirely. I don't even want to tease it too much. I don't want to give it away. Our next pod is going to be special, let me tell you. But... Um, <laughs> Not having that backup center though in this series and then in this game even I think was it was really noticeable. At, at that, I mean, is there anything else you want to touch on for these these big this year takeaways, or should we dive right into it? Uh, I think we can get into it a little more as we go. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. So, uh, you want to set the stage there for the last time for a little while, Rohan? Oh man, it's a little depressing. Uh, <laughs> well, I. I do want to say I was at the Deer District for this game when it happened. Oh, uh, here's the story. I heard I heard we might get a story, but it might not be good. Oh, there's no there's no like real story. It was just such like a, it was a uh, it was the first time I had been there for this playoff run. It was just such a fun atmosphere seeing all the uh, all the Bucks fans just crowding the area. You could barely walk. There were so many people there. You Did just you get kept, recognized? 
Uh, no. <laughs> no. Did not did. get recognized. Really? I did I'm not. almost surprised. I had a I had a cap on and everything. I wasn't okay. trying. I was trying to hide my identity. You know? Yeah, you went. You don't want to attract mode. too many people. You know, in especially in a big crowd. I feel uh, you. You're, <laughs> you're not well, and that was pre Eurostep. Now that you're a Eurostep luminary, Ooh, like, like myself, that. you're good luck going out anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't have to right now. So, <laughs> touche. Uh, but yeah, the Deer District was incredible. It was a fun time. They had like games of knockout going during the game. Uh, I think I got knocked out by like a five year old, so that was great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, good. It was it was a very good time. It was good to see all the Bucks fans just you know having a great time because this was like it was a good game. Yeah, yeah. For this was. Maybe one of the better is in like fun. I mean, there's there's many close games in the series, but like it was good for Bucks fans watching for the first few quarters. That's for sure. I mean, it starts off uh, Milwaukee's lead. I think they're up fourteen to six um, after a couple of good Bledsoe dimes. Brooke Lopez just doing a whole lot. The Bucks defense playing super well until Brooke Lopez sits down and suddenly. Toronto is finding more open shots and certainly Crazy finding some space works. at the rim. Yeah, it's it's wild how Ursan as your center just does not work as well as as Robin. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> I, I did the uh, chill out, Marv. Yeah, <laughs> as as well as Brooke Lopez as your center, but um, Pat C with a Dante esque play on defense at one point, just kind of grabbing the steal and dishing for a fast break all in one motion. It was fun to see that, but. It just everything looked good. I mean, Chris was looking good very early in this game. Like this is the game. This is the start you wanted to see again. This is I don't know how many times in a row. It feels like all six games we've said this, but I will give the Bucks credit for this. You know, back against the wall in enemy territory, they start off on the right foot in a big way. Yeah, they get up after the first quarter. It's thirty-one eighteen when you're facing elimination on the road. That's just that takes wild amounts of strength to do as a team, and they managed to do it in that first quarter. You got so much evenly distributed scoring. Like Chris had six, Giannis had five, Brogdon had eight, George Hill had five, Urson had five. Urson was out here hitting shots. Urson was making some plays on offense. Yes, on offense. Key discrepancy there. Uh, but yeah, it's this first quarter was it was great. They were locked in. They were playing the way they needed to, and. It, it seemed like everything was going to be okay in real time. But now that I'm looking back, it's like Toronto is letting Milwaukee... Not they're not letting them get out to a big lead in the first quarter. But they're just sort of observing, you know? Just trying to, like, stalk their prey almost. Just, like, looking for the weaknesses. The key stat here from this quarter, I think, that really explains it. Kawhi doesn't have a good quarter. That's certainly part of it. But the Raptors attempt just five threes. And only make one. A Kyle Lowry tough, tough three-pointer. So this is, I mean, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say this is what to expect if the Bucks had played better three-point defense. Because, I mean, that Kawhi Leonard guy is usually going to have more than, I think he had one point in this quarter. Or one basket made in this quarter. Yeah, he's one for three with four points. So a little bit quiet performance there from Kawhi. But, I mean, Fred Van Vliet only plays three minutes. Somehow doesn't even get up a shot. No Raptor take or Danny Green takes three threes and misses all of them. Brutal, brutal series. I forget how Danny Green was just so bad and just not a factor in the series at all. And then he went on to be kind of good in the finals. Yeah, no, which was surprising. Like you said, he was good in the finals, but he was just an absolute no show in the series, which I kind of forgot about. But Uh, honestly, it's surprising Van Vliet wasn't getting more minutes by this point in the series because he was so big after after the the levy broke. But 
Nick Nurse, I mean, maybe maybe making the right call to stick with Danny Green as he does certainly bounce back the next round. But, yeah, the, the shot attempts were very limited for Toronto from deep. The Bucks played good defense, and it worked. And then immediately in the second quarter, Bledsoe and Middleton completely lose Fred Van Vliet on a Kawhi drive. They both, like, the like the thing about the Bucks' defense in this game, guys just get, like, completely lost and sucked away from everything except the ball. So Kawhi's driving, and Middleton and Bledsoe are both, like, slowly, slowly pulling toward him just in case, and they're just ignoring everything else. So I think it's Norm Powell is, like, cutting to the basket. He doesn't end up really doing anything. And that was, I think, Middleton's guy. They kind of, it, everything moved around, but... And Bledsoe's guy, will say, was Van Vliet, who he just comes up and gets an open three from the wing. And it's just like, you got to at least have some awareness of what those guys are doing. I mean, I know it's Kawhi Leonard, but it's you need to know a little bit more. I mean, you can't just just be locked onto the ball. And the Bucks would do this over and over and over in this series and certainly in this game and just lose everything happening besides the guy with the ball. Yeah, I do have one more note on the first oh, quarter bad. defense. Uh, it's just, not defense, sorry. Uh, Milwaukee hit half of their total threes in that first quarter. Uh, they hit six of their 12 threes. Oh my goodness. Uh, so that may be a big factor into why they were, you know, chugging on, like chugging along offensively. Because what, they went six of nine for three in the first quarter. And they ended on come on load you can do you can do this. Um, they ended on twelve of thirty four, so oh, they goodness. managed to go uh, six for twenty five on the on the remaining in the remaining three quarters, which is just great. Which is just yeah. you love to see that. Um, it's not ideal. That's for not sure. ideal. But going back to your defensive uh, notes about how Milwaukee was just seeing lost. Uh, what I was noticing when I was you know uh, revisiting this game. Milwaukee was switching their defensive schemes mid-quarter. They went from, I think, in around like a three to four minute stretch. I noticed they went from switch everything to the normal Brooke Lopez drop to switch everything except Lopez. And then the the entire team just looked confused as to what they were doing. Because the entire regular season, they had just done the drop everything. Except Mm -hmm. for like that one Hornets game. If you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think so. Where they were like down big to Charlotte at home and then they were just like, okay, we'll switch everything and then they won. And then Um, they just said, let's never do this again. Yeah, they did it one time the regular season. So they did not know what to do because they were just constantly being told to switch their defensive uh, scheme, which, you know, you like to see uh, Bud making adjustments. Like he was making adjustments. That's one thing that I'm not really a fan of the discourse is that, oh, Bud doesn't really make adjustments in the playoffs. No, he he's doing quarter like mid-quarter defensive adjustments. But the thing is like he didn't do it in the regular season, so the like the team had no idea what they were doing. Yeah, I mean I, I think the best word is just lost. I mean, you watch some of these like big plays that ended up shifting the entire series. Someone's getting open because like nobody knows who to guard. I mean, there's a play later in this game where I think Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton both are like closing out on Kawhi in the perimeter, and somebody just, I think Serge Ibaka just gets an open dunk. And it's just like, how could those two guys both think they have the same cover? Like, something is seriously there's wrong. A, there's a play in the second quarter where uh, Fred Van Vliet hit a three shocker, but the reason why is because he was wide open because uh, Brooke, Chris, and Bledsoe decided to triple team Kawhi on the baseline. Yep. Yep, Bledsoe is the guy who leaves Van Vliet. Yeah, I saw every time 
And it, I say it every time because it has happened definitely more than once. Every time Kawhi Leonard gets tripled to leave Van Vliet open, I just I die a little bit more inside. Tripled. There's there's no reason to triple team a guy early. It was early in the shot clock too, if I remember correctly. Uh, they just, just see him and they're just they panic. They absolutely were like, we need to do something about this. Except the something was not very defined. No, just leave the hottest shooter on the court open. That's just a great idea. Which is, it was weird because Bledsoe had some good defensive moments in this game. Like he, one thing, another thing that I'm realizing rewatching the series. Sure, Bledsoe was not really, he was, he didn't really show up offensively, like, throughout the series. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's that goes without saying. But he wasn't a negative, as much as people make him out to be. Yeah, I think the issue, I think Bledsoe would look much better in this series, except the team shortcomings made a lot of guys look worse. But I do agree, there wasn't that many moments where guys on the team really like fell short in doing something they were at like that they that they're they're known I don't, I don't know exactly what i'm saying but i certainly agree like bledsoe was good usually at doing what he was doing but he would end up getting caught up in the same miscues that the rest of the team was and that that certainly doesn't help and yeah his his box score numbers and it, all except for the one game where he had 20 are are not ideal either but no i, I don't think I, I do think people look back to your point, and think like this was disaster. Bledsoe again, wouldn't say it was a disaster. Yeah, not a disaster by far. Like I think he left way more to be desired. In the playoffs, people are expected to you know bring out their best self, and Eric Bledsoe was just playing a little below his regular season, uh, which you know is like a normally like a good, uh, solid point guard. Uh, but you need way more than that when your season is on the line and your title chances are on the line. Because this team's a contender. And when you're just not elevating your game to the level it should be in the playoffs, that's when you get just sort of picked at. Uh, but he was good defensively, except for, you know, his moments where he got caught up like the rest of the team, as you just said. But I don't know. It just, he, he had a good defensive game set. Six, sorry. I think at one point, uh, it's probably Marv is like that's why he's a first team All NBA defender, and I was like, oh, Bledsoe getting the proper shout out. Yeah, I Do mean, they say the All NBA. No, I, I think I think it's just first team All Defense. No, like no. Do they say that before the playoffs, or do they do that with the normal NBA awards thing in June? I it's can't. It's got to be with the normal awards, right? So I guess he was guessing, or just I don't. I'm sure. That's interesting. I did not think of that, but. I mean, here's he, the thing. He like, was right. <laughs> he was correct. The issue with Bledsoe is, like, he defended well. He scored a lot of points in that one game. His shooting lines for the series, 3 for 12, 3 for 10, 3 for 16, 2 for 7, 6 for 14, and then 3 for 9 in this game, which was, like, fine. But I think the there were so many questions about, like, do the Bucks have their second guy? I feel more comfortable about their second guy than I do about their third guy, I think. That's fair. That's very fair to say. I think that's one of the main criticisms about this team even now. It's just, you know, uh, Giannis is obviously like a superstar uh, MVP. Uh, Chris Middleton's an all-star. We, we're the biggest believers that you can find on him as a second option. It's just, can Bledsoe be a solid third option? Does it even matter? That's the real question. Yeah. I mean, now that it's Dante's season. Dante's, Dante's going to be an all-star. Do you know who was second on the Bucks in scoring in this game? In this series, excuse me. In this series? Yeah. Uh, prob- I want to say either Brooke or Brogdon. 
<laughs> Good instincts. It, Brooke Lopez. Yeah, Brooke he... Lopez this series, 15.5 points per game on nearly 50% shooting. Wow. Brooke Lopez Brooke... was surprisingly solid. Again, yes. I didn't really remember this. I obviously remembered his game one heroics, just mainly based on that gif of him clapping. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, iconic. Uh, yes. He just put the team on his back in game one, went out and scored, like, what, 29, his playoff career high, and, like, <laughs> sort of brought the uh, team to, like, steal a game, as we discussed in the first episode of for this Toronto series. But I do not remember him being such a big factor, especially down the stretch um, yes. in games five and game six, um, yes. which we haven't gotten well, to game six yet because we're still in the middle of it. But we're working we, on it. Yeah, we, we, we talked last episode about how Brooke was solid down the stretch, especially in that fourth quarter. And in this game, again, he was solid in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll save my Brooke Lopez take till we get to that fourth quarter then. Um, more of the same, though. I mean, just just a lot of Van Vliet and others just getting open and that, that really takes away a lot of the momentum I think the Bucks had in the in the first quarter. Um, at one point, Giannis does sort of drive and, and spin and kick to Bledsoe for three, which was not a thing that was happening enough, either Giannis making those passes or Bledsoe actually hitting threes, but that was nice to see. That was encouraging. You know, yeah, for sure. It's, it's good to see when it works. It's just disappointing when it doesn't work the rest of the times because you know how deadly that combination can be. Especially because, as we talked about last episode, uh, you know, maybe you want to look at staggering Giannis and Blood a lot more. And especially because everyone was playing a lot of minutes in this game. Like Giannis yeah. and Chris were over 40, Brooke was over 34, uh, Brogdon and Bledsoe, and George Hill at 30, Ilyasova at 21, Pat at around 10. Because, you know, Nico's 10 minutes are gone. He was a DNP. It find, finally, Bud realized that, you know what, maybe this guy that's just been in uh, a traffic cone on defense, that's disrespectful to traffic cones, uh, <laughs> but just just an absolute, he's just bleeding. It's, it's, you, you should see if he's point shaving at that point. Um, <laughs> it finally took him until game six to realize, hey, maybe you shouldn't play. Nope. You know what I'm always going to wonder, and I know there's an injury involved that he was coming back from. What is Tony this? Snell just never really getting a chance. Yeah, that was bothering me in the moment, too. Because yeah, 40%-ish shooter from three, pretty good defender on the wing. I know, but whose minutes are you going to take, you know? Ersan? You're going to play Tony Snell at the five? Well, that, 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 there's your issue right there. Is that's, that's the issue with not having a center. But, I mean, personally... A DJ? No. Um, probably stagger Brook and Giannis a little bit. Yeah. Just play Giannis at center in the 13 minutes that Brooke doesn't play. Here, you know what I want to talk about? Let's do it. Did you notice that when those two, Giannis and Brooke, shared the floor, did you notice who was guarding who a lot of the time? Was it... Was it... Brooke Lopez kept guard... And I'm almost... This had to be intentional because I saw it happen like four different possessions in a row. Brooke is guarding Pascal Siakam. Oh, and then Giannis is on Gasol. Yeah, or or Ibaka. I saw him on both, and I, I mean, I get the logic of like having Giannis being the roving defender. I mean, that's something the Bucks really enjoyed doing. But also, I think that's just dumb. <laughs> I think I think it's dumb because I I think asking Brook Lopez to, I mean, sometimes he would try to like do his drop thing on Siakam. That was a poor idea. Siakam can do a lot more than most centers in the game, and sometimes he would try to go up on the perimeter, and then. I mean, you can't really ask Brooke Lopez to try and chase a guy around screens. I mean, come on. And then, like, Giannis, you know, as good as he is as a help defender, 
there were a couple plays, especially later, where he ranges so far off, especially Gasol. Gasol just gets an open three, and it's just like, I just think that's overthinking it a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I'm very cognizant of how good Giannis is as an off-ball defender, but you know what he can do on the ball. So why overthink it? Why not just put him on Siakam and say, we're going to swallow up Siakam? Even if you don't want to use him on Kawhi to save him a little bit and, and keep the guys who have been on Kawhi on Kawhi, just throw him on Siakam and let Brook Lopez play the other center. I mean, it just it just felt like over-tinkering to me. I didn't think it was a good idea. And I think watching back, it did not really work. You know, that's circling back to how good this team is this season. I think that point illustrates how this team has changed because at certain points, like during this 1920 season, Bud has put Giannis on the team's best player. Like even against the Raptors, they put him on Siakam and he shut him down. They've put him on Zion in that one game against the Pelicans and he shut him down. So it was, it's nice to see that Giannis can and will be utilized as like a stopper defensively and like back to you, you could use him as like maybe not as prolific but as like a San Antonio Spurs era Kawhi on defense just as yeah. like you put a guy this guy on him and the other guy's not scoring right no exactly I mean I just think I get not wanting to do that all the time you know conserve Giannis a little bit sure but this is not a new concept I've been watching fouls. The, huh you like saving some fouls too. Yeah, you know, absolutely that as well. But like watching the last dance, I mean, and and reading some more Jordan, especially Pippen stuff. That's how they use Pippen. It was like if anyone was giving the Bulls trouble, they were just like, all right, here's Scotty, good luck. I mean, I'm not gonna say Giannis is as good on ball as Scotty Pippen, who's maybe the best on ball defender ever. Kawhi right up there as well. But Giannis is like that, at least close to that good of a defender. He's a terrific perimeter defender. Like insisting on using him in some of these weird scenarios. I just did not agree with. I didn't, I don't know if I noticed it as much then. I don't remember it as much, but looking back, I certainly was just like, no, I that don't. Was the, that was the debate at the time. Like, why not just put uh, Giannis on Kawhi? Yeah, I right? remember, you know, after Kawhi was put on Giannis, that became like, especially like the blogs and the national media, that was the big question, right? Like, when are they going to, when are the Bucks going to make the corresponding move? And it really did it not happen. happen. It didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know where we are in the game anymore. I feel like halftime. Sure. Do you have any more second quarter stuff? Uh, not really. <laughs> it's just what's the what's the score at this point? Uh, fifty to forty three in favor of Milwaukee. Another note on the second quarter though: no Buck made more than one field goal, which is Ugh. great. You love to see that. Uh, but yeah, that's all. That's all I got. But they do have a seven point lead going into the half still. They carry that lead for a while. It's pretty continuous. It is. Until it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that uh, very, very cheery note, um, you know, luckily uh, for us, I mean, like we said, we enjoyed doing it. Uh, we're glad there's no more devastating losses, consecutive losses to cover for a little while. Um, but this this series is coming to a close. And right now, there's also currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB on either. So you might think there's nothing to bet on, but you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, betonline.ag, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Betonline.ag has live, daily Madden NFL 20 sims that you can bet on. You can also still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even that 
dastardly Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. They're all open 24 hours a day and all completely online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds in the playoffs and outside of the playoffs? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is entirely free, and once approved, your order shifts straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com and promo code BLUEWIRE. Rohan, two rounds to go. Let's get to the third quarter. Uh, what, are, what, what should we talk about from this third quarter? Well, I mean, the Bucks did come out of the half looking strong. They, It was a seven-point lead, as I said, coming back into this third quarter, and they built it up to 15 with 218 left in the quarter. They were playing really good basketball, and then it just fell apart. It just absolutely just... In those final two minutes and 18 seconds, the Raptors went on a 10-0 run, making it a five-point game going into the fourth. If that's not a squandered opportunity, I don't know what is. No, and this is where we start to get even more of these just like complete miscommunications yeah. in the second half of this quarter. I mean, I think this is before the run you're talking about, the 10-0, but there's a down screen Kawhi sets for Kyle Lowry and... I forget. Oh, Giannis. So Giannis is like late to rotate around to get to Kawhi and stop him from dunking. So George Hill has to kind of just stand there. But Giannis also kind of just stands there. And Lowry gets the wide open three. Um, Lowry later just oh, cooks fillets or Sanaliasova. It's there's there's just some rough stuff going on. And again, it just some good Raptors shot making at times, but at other times it just really feels like the Bucks lose lose the rope. Yeah, they just, they had it in their hands and they sort of just, you know, like you said, they let go of the rope. They had everything you could possibly want going for them. It's just, I I honestly don't know what to say besides just, that was just great offense by the Raptors in that final, that final little stretch. Like, I don't think this team realized that you have to play for like full 48 minutes in an elimination game. Like you cannot take any one second off. Otherwise you're just going to let the other team pounce on that opportunity. It's just, they took too much time off during the game. If that makes any sense. And even though they had a bunch of opportunities, especially in this quarter, they just couldn't capitalize. No, they couldn't. And it's that, I think this is like last game. I mean, you remember the Bucks losing four in a row. I honestly didn't remember how close so many of these losses really ended up being. I mean, there's there's people out there who will tell you that the Raptors smacked the Bucks, and I mean, I guess in in a way you can say that they did win four straight games. But Milwaukee was in pretty much all of these games until they just were not anymore, and that makes it so much more of a of a bummer 
in my in my opinion. Um, certainly a disappointing quarter. I mean, just looking at three Bucks made field goals, the big the big three, so to speak, Giannis, Chris, and Bledsoe. Everybody else goes over, and all eight Bucks did play in the quarter. Just, it's just rough. I mean, just the execution, like you said, the they seems like the got a little too comfortable up fifteen. They weren't quite intense enough. And then on the other side, the Raptors just always continued coming. They continued going after it every single minute, it felt like. And it worked for Not them. Not with Blue Chew. Oh. <laughs> I hope people can clearly hear that on the, uh, on the audio. Um, oh, do you, have, uh, do you have anything else from the third quarter? Um, not really just that that run was like this was a mostly good quarter for milwaukee it just fell apart in those final two minutes they played 10 minutes of solid basketball and it just somehow it didn't it didn't even matter they still lost the quarter it's just i don't know it's baffling to me how they let like even going through the even going through and watching and then just reading the play-by-play again i just don't understand what happens it's just like Kawhi pull-up jump shot, Kawhi free throws, Ibaka hook shot, just Kawhi free throws. Just, yeah, a lot of Kawhi free throws in this court. Uh, yeah. what, how much did he have? He, had, he, he went four, four seven for seven in the quarter, which is just wild. Urson had four free throws, four for four. Surprisingly solid offensive game from Urson. Imagine if he played all of Nico's minutes. Mm, it's... Um, could have made a big difference. Ursan wanted to go to the damn finals, man. That's Ursan really wanted to go to the finals. Kawhi plays all twelve of this one. He's plus two, um, but surprisingly, the Bucks weather six minutes and forty-seven seconds of Fred Van Vliet and don't even let him take a shot. It's shocking that a quarter the Bucks could lose handle of a quarter so quickly without letting Van Vliet hit some ridiculous threes. But that was the story of this quarter, and also like. Siakam won for five. So this was really kind of the worry that they were had the whole time about Kawhi could just beat us. He kind of did this quarter, but it was pretty close, and he did get some help from Serge Ibaka, like you said, and, and Norm Powell. And Kawhi does pick up three assists, which a lot of those were pretty simple. I mean, I remember the Ibaka bucket was just Kawhi is driving and everyone's glued to him, and he just kind of like just dishes it into Serge who dunks. It's like it can't be that easy, man, especially – not while you're kind of reeling on a run. Yeah, that's the that's the thing when you have two seven footers to play at center when you're the Raptors and the Bucks yeah. have one. Yep, they did have that that size. Mm-hmm. So the start of the fourth quarter frustrated me a lot, or at least one of the earliest plays. Do you want to give the uh, the score update? Uh, yeah. So the Bucks are still up five seventy six seventy one, but they could have been up uh, fifteen. But you know, yep, neither here nor there. Well, and they go from being up five to being up three right away early in the fourth quarter. Fred Van Vliet just, like, drives through the whole Bucks set defense for an uncontested layup. And it's just one of those things where, like, that should never happen in the fourth quarter of an elimination game. You're up five. Like, it's the very start of the fourth quarter. You can't just give up open layups when you're not. Like, it wasn't like a fast break and there was no one around. I mean, there was at least, I think Giannis might have been kind of in the uh, in the top of the painted area. Brooke Lopez was by the basket, and just like nobody nobody moves. The Bucks would do this thing way too often in this series where like they can't really tell if one guy or the other guy is supposed to do something, and it felt like for whatever reason in those situations, 
90% of the time, either both guys did it or neither guy did it, which neither of those is a very good result. And this one, everyone kind of looked at each other like, who's going to guard this guy? And by the time they thought about it, he had already scored. Yeah, that just goes back to what I was saying earlier about just confusion from the constant switching of schemes. Like, there's yeah. just... They, they didn't know what to do in that situation, and that's that's on coaching because they didn't utilize that during the regular season or, I guess, drill it hard enough because this team obviously is a great defensive team. They know what they're doing. They have great individual defenders. They just couldn't put it together on the team scheme scale because there was just no practice with it, I guess. Yeah, that's certainly what it felt like, at least. And quickly, that, that becomes apparent, and the Bucks give up this lead pretty early into the fourth quarter. Yes, they were. The Raptors were just hunting Lopez and Ursan off of switches and then just scoring. Mm. And I don't know. That was just that was a game plan that the Raptors really succeeded with because it's not that difficult and it's uh, easy to do. Uh, I guess those are the same thing. Uh, but <laughs> it's it was very efficient because you could just get easy buckets and the Bucks weren't doing enough of that. We've talked about that at nauseum at this point. But they've just, they never really took advantage of mismatches like what you would want, except if you had like Fred Van Vliet on Giannis, then they would, because that's obvious, you know? Yeah. I mean, the rest of them are kind of obvious too. And I guess down the stretch, Brooke was sort of, Brooke was getting it done when he got switched onto like Kyle Lowry or something. He was just taking him down low, and it was just, it was easy. It was easy. And if you did that the entire series, you probably win. Yeah. Yeah, I think. He Brooke does take Kyle Lowry once for an and one, so he gets at this point the Raptors through through a lot of pick and rolls, attacking Urshan and, and Lopez as well on screens, and a pretty brutal Chris turnover. The Raptors build up a pretty solid little lead. I think they were up at six, and then Brooke does get that and one. The the Bucks are down just three at this point. Giannis fakes a pass to Brooke from three, and then drives in for a pretty easy layup. The Bucks are down one. Lowry comes back and, and kind of cooks up Chris Middleton. A little, little too easy for Kyle Lowry attacking the basket. And then Giannis misses a pretty rough, like, turnaround, spinning, floater thing. But Brooke cleans it up. A couple of big offensive rebounds for the Bucks in this game. But uh, then suddenly the Bucks are down just one. Giannis on Mark Gasol leaves him wide open to help. Giannis is really slow on the closeout after he sees the pass go that way. And the wide open three puts the Raptors up four, and that that margin felt really, really big in the moment. It really did, especially because time was winding down, and you just yeah. know that you know if Toronto just builds up like a couple possessions worth of a lead, then it's over. Yeah, um, yeah. and that's what it ended up being, really, because you know the Bucks managed to pull it within three with what thirty seconds left. But then they, they even forced a Siakam miss, but they let Siakam get his own offensive rebound, and then it was over. Yeah, I think uh, there was the Siakam miss free throw at the very end where Kawhi gets the board. It's just one of the most brutal plays. I don't really know how it happened. I watched it back four times and still don't really understand. But after the Gasol three earlier, I had mentioned, uh, so that puts the Raptors up five. Brooke Lopez comes right back down and has the basket and scores. He was doing great work attacking the basket, the, and he's continued that this year. The uh, the plaza just exploded after that Brook Lopez shot because it's like, okay, maybe there's a chance. It felt that way even on the rewatch. I was like, wow, they're really they're really getting in. They're not quitting right now. Um, but then, do you remember who leaks away from the pack down in the paint and gets wide open for a catch and shoot three right after that Lopez bucket? 
Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess and say it's probably uh, Kawhi. It is indeed Kawhi Leonard. And I was just, I think I kind of yelled while watching it. Like, I don't really get it, but I kind of get if you lose Fred Van Vliet a few times. I mean, he's just small. Like, physically, it's easier to lose him. And, you know, you're so worried about especially Kawhi and kind of Siakam, maybe Lowry. I don't think there's really an excuse to lose Van Vliet after a certain amount of time either, but whatever. I don't know how the entire Bucks defense completely forgets about Kawhi Leonard long enough, but they do. And that three after the earlier Gasol three really, really felt brutal. And I think the I think it was actually a Kawhi miss on the Siakam dunk, but it was again just the the miscommunication of Giannis and Brooke both jump, commit entirely to try and stop him from shooting. And they do force the miss, but then Siakam's right there for a pullback. And it's just like, you can't force Kawhi to miss and then not get the board. Like, you need, you need no, to be it perfect was a, it after was you a, squander the It was that lead. block that Giannis had on Kawhi. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because that was, just, that was a monster block by Giannis. Yeah, it was. I don't know how Kawhi got up from that. Like, I'm glad he did, obviously. But, like, I don't know how. He fell hard <laughs> yeah. on the court after that block. It was an intense end of the game, but the Bucks just, again, I mean, it's so often in the series, it came down to their miscues ended up giving the Raptors enough reloads, enough open looks to put it away, and, and they certainly did. Yeah, they really did. It just, there was a lot of, I think, missed opportunities is just the catchphrase from the series, because that's what it was. Like, we've, we've said this before again, but it's just, the the Raptors, obviously, they played great, they deserved to win, but the Bucks didn't do themselves any favors. If they played at their full capacity, they probably should have won this entire series in probably less than six games. Uh, I'd yeah. say around five if they were playing their normal standards. Uh, but they just couldn't. They couldn't stop getting out of their own way. They couldn't stop just making just little mistakes and just not stopping the obvious. And that's just that's the story of the series. Yeah, and I think... One of the frustrating things looking back, and the Raptors win 194. I mean, it was, I think it was really over even before Kawhi gets that rebound in the Siakam free throw, but that was that was iced it. Uh, some free throws after that led to the the final, but like the Bucks in this whole series in this game as well, it felt like they were never able to get shots for the guys they wanted to get shots. I mean, Giannis leads the team with 18. That's great. I think even with shooting more free throws, Kawhi had 22 attempts. Uh, and then Siakam had 17 for the Raptors. Chris just has 13. Brook Lopez has 12. George Hill has 10. And Bledsoe has 9. And then Urson was 7, followed by Brogdon with 6. Pat Connaughton does not attempt a shot. You know, I know the Bucks like that free-flowing offense and that shot diversity, but I do think you can take it too far and it can hurt you if your second-best player, your second all-star, only gets one more shot than Brook Lopez, only four more than Eric Bledsoe. I, I realized he didn't have a great shooting series. Chris just needed to be in a position to create more offense. I mean, no attempted free throws. Those were those were his offensive looks right there. No assists either. Just not nearly good enough from Chris Middleton. Not at all. You you look at. I didn't even realize Bledsoe had seven assists. He was actually this furthers my especially case. early. He was he was, he was penetrating looking. and moving the ball. Yeah, he was actually doing really good. The minus ten doesn't really do him justice. I want to mm-hmm. say, but it's just. Yeah, like you said, it's just tough, especially especially when you have Giannis playing 40 minutes and 32 seconds and as a plus three. Mm-hmm. You know, especially he's shooting 39% from the field. 
and you're still a net positive with him on the court. It's just seven and a half minutes where they get outscored by nine. If you just if you have Chris or you have Bledsoe stepping up in those seven and a half minutes, you win this game. Yeah, yeah, no, it's when you look at it that way, it's even more striking. It's one of those things that just does not reflect well on the uh, on the Bucks that. You know they couldn't pull off just winning the non Giannis minutes in this game. I I thought that was even true of Game Five, but I think when when we looked back when we did that pod, I do think they didn't lose Giannis's minutes in that game. Uh, they did by two, so it was kind of close. But it just it was so disappointing because some of the guys who had been so clutch for the Bucks and had just come through were Brogdon and and Hill, and neither of them play particularly well in this game. I mean George Hill ten points on ten shots, Brogdon has. 10 points on six shots, but Brogdon makes three and George Hill makes four. It's just, you would have definitely liked to see more from those guys as the, the auxiliary scorers and the shooting threats. You really would. You just need more people to step up. For the Raptors, you have Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell going wild. You have Ibaka stepping up in moments. The Bucks didn't really have anyone step up besides Brooke Lopez. Um, and, you know, obviously Giannis is doing Giannis things. But you just you had no one else sort of take up like another level in the playoffs, which you can't do if you want to win a title. You just cannot have no of your players step up or even regress if you want to have a chance. So it's just yeah. it's very unfortunate. It's on the team. It's on everyone. They they beat themselves in this series. Yeah, and I think for just a, an illustration of how easy the Bucks made it for Toronto. I don't think the Raptors cast and role players were like super like way better than the Bucks crew, but the Bucks had one guy shoot 50% or better in the whole game. And that was Brogdon, who again, only attempted six shots. Nobody else even shoots 45%. Then you look at the Raptors, Kawhi only shoots 40% and Pascal Siakam actually only shoots 41%. Danny Green, 0%. Something was just up with Danny Green, but everybody else on the Raptors, is shooting 57% or better. They just were getting great looks, and they were able to put their players in great positions to shoot efficiently. Lowry shoots 60%, Marc Gasol 66 I mean, only three attempts, but still. Norm Powell shoots 60%, Ibaka 57%, and Van Vliet 83% and 80% from deep. Again, is there some, some crazy variance there on him making 80%? Sure, but if so many of them are just completely wide open it's less random than it is getting a little unlucky and also not having a good approach. And that was the Bucks' defense being so concerned with Kawhi. They just made everybody else's life easier. The Raptors did not make life easy on anybody for the Bucks. They really didn't. There was just there was a lot of give on the Bucks end, and the Raptors just ran a tight ship from Game 3 onwards. They did not let anything, like credit credit to them. They did a fantastic job. Again, the Bucks. I want to say the Bucks did beat themselves, but, you know, the Raptors had to be in a position to let them do that, I guess. They had to capitalize, yeah. and they did. They did. I mean, they did. They took they... full advantage of every opportunity, which is what, um, if if the Raptors are doing that and the Bucks do that, I say the Bucks win uh, most times. Uh, but the Bucks didn't. And yeah. That's, that's why they lost in the conference finals and didn't win a title. It is. I don't think I have anything else to add. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. Well, we did it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> we finished this uh what do you want? What's the what's the 
term for like this collection uh, of yeah. podcasts called Binge yeah, the Buck. series. Series, yes, that's that's the word I'm looking for. We have finished. I didn't know if you were looking for like this tribulation or. Ooh. But that's just because this was hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's not not a good word for a podcast series, but just something we endured. Yes. Well, we did hope that you, all of you listening out there, did enjoy Binge the Bucks. It was, we did learn a lot as we started off this episode saying we've learned a lot. This was a good exercise. This, hopefully, again, you guys enjoyed that. If you did enjoy this episode of Binge the Bucks, this final episode of Binge the Bucks here on the Eurostep, please leave a rating and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure you tell your family and friends about the show. And check out all of the shows across the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're all working very hard to bring you content during these times. And please stay safe out there. And we will talk to you next time.